Today's reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. It can be found on page 944 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer as we begin? God of grace, as we come into this room from all kinds of different places and different experiences this week, um, we look to meet you and to hear from you. Whether we come with great skepticism about um, a lot of the deep things that Christians say they believe in this season, and we come with questions, more questions than answers, or maybe we are you know, part of the the group of people who marks none on those surveys where um, they ask, what what do you associate yourself with religiously? Because for one reason or another, we've been turned off by what we see in church people. Or whether we come with great joy, there are things that that have affirmed our faith or our attempt to find faith, and you've answered prayers in a way that we, we didn't realize you could be so close. Others of us sit here very different. We maybe sit here just angry at someone or at you or struggling and suffering with something in our life that we didn't ask for and we didn't predict. And we come from all these different places, and the truth is we're all the same. We're all more of a mess than we want the person next to us to know. And in the midst of our mess and fragmentation, we're trying to sort things out. And that's part of why we're here. And help us to hear from you that the same old message that we hear in these pages, that you move towards people with messy, fragmented lives and you take on the mess and the brokenness yourself in order to restore us to you. That's what you've done through Jesus on the cross. And help us to see that and get a taste of that and walk away with a burden off our shoulders and knowing a little bit more who we are. We pray that happens in this time through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, just a little personal note at the beginning as we start, um, window into my personal life. The last 10 years since we've had kids, we've realized that something that didn't come up ever before is that I'm a really, really deep sleeper. <laughs> so, and you're anticipating that that becomes an issue, right? Um, at night, when you know kids need things in the middle of the night, all kinds of all kinds of things they need, and um, and my wife basically has permission to just beat on me until I come to, you know, until I become a part, functioning part of the world. And this is just this is our relationship. Um, and and so there's all these stories. There's the legends that are growing about what happens when I'm waking up in the middle of the night, and they're they're all true. Um, so there's always a child coming in and needing just a glass of water or just crying and needing a hug. It's usually pretty basic. And um, there's these stories where, and I, I don't catch the first part of the story, you can guess, but there's a point where I begin to, to sort of come to and I'm somewhere that I didn't realize I was trying to help with the situation and, and basically getting laughed at because of what I'm doing to try to solve whatever problem. So there's one of them where I... Was I was basically on my hands and knees at the end of the bed with my head buried down like this, and you know there's just a child sitting there crying, standing there crying next to me, and I, for some reason, I sort of got there and ended up just in that position. Um, another one of the stories is where um, let's see how does it, oh yeah um, I think one of our kids needed a drink of water, and so I was rummaging around in a bottom drawer of one of our clothes drawers in our, our dressers in our room, so that's when I started to realize what actually the problem was. And then my favorite is um, kind of an odd one, but um, when my child came in, and it was Elijah, our oldest, and um, of course he was a lot littler then, and um, basically I woke up, I came to, to him and his mom saying, why are you taking his pants off? <laughs> I mean, just, oh, yeah, I really don't know. I guess he just maybe needed a hug. I don't know, but... So I kind of come out of the ha- this haze, you know, this fog, this cloudiness of the middle of the night, you know, the dark night. And, um, and then I start to wake up and realize what's going on. Um, and sometimes I wonder, I think, why are we so different? Why are people so different? You know, why can my wife just wake up immediately and, 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 and can hear the need and understand what's going on and her synapses are firing? And why is it just this long, cloudy haze of, of incoherence and oblivion that I'm in? And I don't know if that's similar at all to anything you've ever asked yourself. With respect to uh, God, um, God's presence in your life, uh, Jesus and what he means for you, why does it so often seem like, uh, maybe you've asked yourself, why does it so often seem like, I, I just, I'm not feeling it. I'm not awake to it. I'm not alert to it. It's like... There's this haze or this cloudiness, and others, maybe, you'll see others, and you'll think, well, it seems like they see it clearly. And it, for me, it's just a haze, or it's cloudy. And why does, it, why, why does it seem to take so long for me to wake up to God's reality? Um, actually, this is one of the most common things I run to in, in just meeting with people and talking to people about their spiritual lives is the, a pretty universal desire, actually, to be more alert, to, to be more connected, to have a little bit more kind of passion bubbling up towards God and who is God. Why can't I be more in touch and experience and encounter God more? How does that happen? How do I get there? And we look at our story today as we're beginning Advent, and you see 
really the, the arch, arch prototypes of, of being in touch and being in tune with the work of God in our world, Mary and Elizabeth. Do you notice how in touch they are with what God is doing? One of the things that just gives you a, I mean, there's all kinds of things I could point out. One of the things that gives you a great window into it is what Elizabeth says in verse um, 43 when she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. When she says my Lord, she's using the same word that she just used earlier in the chapter to talk about God. You realize how huge that is for a first century Jewish woman to be saying after very little has happened, to, to have this, this awareness, this sense that she's grasping a huge, huge, what became a huge doctrine in the first centuries of the Christian church that was, that was seen as incredibly important, was divergent a little bit from where, what first century Jews thought. And she grasped it and is saying it out loud, exclaiming it, the mother of my Lord, that Mary's going to give birth to this Messiah who is the Son of God. And she's grasping that. She's so in tune. She's so aware of what's happening. How does she get there? And Mary as well, because Mary is basically just singing a song. She's breaking out in random song. I don't know when the last time you broke out in random song was. But she's breaking out in random song. And um, and it it really, if if you really get down to the human level about it, it's... It's basically she's going to be having a child um, not by the person that she was engaged to be married to. And in any sense of explaining that throughout her life, she already knows it's going to involve uh, talking about how she saw a vision and an angel angel told her this and that. I mean, can can you just get behind the humanity of that and how I think most people's responses would be, let's hope this isn't really a pregnancy um, and let's just not talk about the angel to anyone, sort of some ground rules for making it in life. And she, instead of grumbling and dealing with all of that, she breaks out in song about God's goodness, about how God's doing something big that affects the whole world and that is sort of some kind of switch between the haves and the have-nots. What's going on? Well, these people are recognizing this huge thing that's going on so naturally and almost as a point of humor. Um, we see that every human, every conceivable human in this interaction, when Mary comes and visits um, Elizabeth, every conceivable human has the same kind of connection to the amazing thing that's happening. The fetus, the, the little John the Baptist, six months old in Elizabeth's womb, is, is making such a pronounced movement inside of her that at that exact moment when Mary walks in the door, that it becomes a part of the, of the story as it's retold over and over, that this is... This is how real, and everyone's recognizing it, everyone. Um, so how does that happen? How do people get to that point? And what does it look like maybe if you would at least notch up the awareness factor a little bit, the recognition factor that God in my life, that I can see, that I have vision, that I know, that I'm connected, I'm in touch. How does that happen? I think we learn a few things from Mary and Elizabeth. I'm just going to hit two of them that we see, of how God prepares someone to recognize his presence and his coming in their life. He prepares you, first of all, through humble circumstances, and secondly, through scripture. Let's look at how that that comes out in this passage. First of all, God prepares you through humble circumstances. 
It's, it's through um, humble, humble circumstances in your life that God begins to open your door, open the doors of your eyes, really, to seeing him at work. And we have that going on with both of these women in this passage. Humble circumstances. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, before I talk about Mary and Elizabeth, he says this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. For these it is enough to wait in humble fear until the Holy One Himself comes down to us, God and the child in the manger. God comes. The Lord Jesus comes. Christmas comes. Christians rejoice. If you look at Elizabeth, what we know from earlier in the chapter is that Elizabeth and Zechariah, her husband, couldn't have children. They were unable to have children. And they're not in that early phase of dealing with it where they're trying different options and um, it's just a year or two or three in and there's still kind of hope, but they're getting discouraged. In fact, they've, they've given up hope long ago, decades ago, there's no chance. And they've just come to terms with the the bitter loss of what life is going to look like for them. Humble circumstances. Mary, um, how does her journey involve humble circumstances? Well, really just in the same same way that Elizabeth would have, Mary was really a part of the peasant class She's led this humble, uh, lowly life of basically living as a poor person in an oppressed people group, living hand-to-mouth, day-to-day, her whole life. She was a member of the 80% of the have-nots in first century Palestine. Um, Actually, there's a slide. I didn't warn you, Calvin, but there's a slide I want to pop up during uh, this time. Just to give you a sense today, um, you can't really read the fine print from where you're sitting. Um, but if you notice, notice that graph, this is just to relate the time of Mary and Elizabeth to today. On this graph, the, on the far left-hand side, that's the, that's the first 10% of the population in the world today, the poorest 10%. The size of the blue bar represents the... Uh, consumption, the share of the world's private consumption by each, 10, uh, each additional 10% of the population. So the last bar is the wealthiest 10% in the world today. You know, so this one to the left of the last bar would be the second wealthiest 10% in the world. Um, so let me, you know, it's kind of striking to see that like exponential curve. And let me just make sense of this um, one way. I'm sure you can cut this a lot of different ways. Basically what this data shows from 2005 is that you and I, and really everyone in this room, because the U.S. poverty line is still in basically somewhere in those top two brackets, you and I, on a daily basis, most likely, have at our fingertips 20 times the amount of things and stuff and resources than 80% of the rest of the world. We have, I mean, just, just imagine, you know, most of the world's living along with various things that are part of their life, and they look at you and they go, you have what I have times 20 every day 
of your life. Why am I bringing this up? Well, definitely because Mary, just think about Mary and Elizabeth, they were not in those last two brackets. They were in somewhere in the sea of the rest of the have-nots. And in, in the midst of those humble circumstances, they became the kind of people that when God was going to do this big act of salvation for the world, they were the ones who were going to be able to see it. They were the ones whom God had prepared to see it. And if you think about it this way, you know, we, people in power and who have stuff, which is, again, check it off for all of us, people in, in power and who have stuff, we, you tend to think that, that you have clear vision. It just kind of is something you do naturally. You tend to say, I'm seeing things rightly. I'm seeing things the clearest. And it's good to just stop and imagine if God was going to had delayed the work of bringing Jesus to earth, say, about 2,000 in 12 years, and it was going to happen today, he, he wouldn't be picking the United States of America to find his Elizabeth and Mary. I mean, just, just stew on that and think about that. And the reason I want you to stew on it and think about it is that we need to realize, is there any real mystery? Is there really any mystery as to why it might often feel like your vision and your connection to God is blocked by something? There's blockage there that you can't see clearly. It might have something to do with the you know, times 20 factor related to the rest of the world. You can take the slide down. This is just how it works. In the Bible, you see it over and over again that the, those who have gone through humble circumstances, their vision just opens up. So you know, it's possible for us as well. I'm not trying to say, oh, it's worthless. You're an American. Might as well go home and not celebrate Advent. Okay, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, but it's, so look towards the humble circumstances, right? And when you look in the Bible, there's Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And what happens but the son who runs away and squanders the amazing amount of things that he has at his fingertips. He squanders them and hits a rock-bottom point, and it's like his eyes come open and he sees things radically different, different from the rest of, of his life is how he'd seen them. And he finally sees, and it's cool to see the thing he says at that moment. He basically says the poorest in my father's kingdom are treated better than where they're, how they're treated here. I need to go home to my father's kingdom. In that moment, he sees the, the grace multiplying of his father, and he goes back home. And when he's at home at the, at the party, and he's welcomed in by that grace, and there's a party, it's the elder brother who's had it all, all along at his fingertips and never let go and never hit rock bottom, who we find kind of like this cliffhanger at the end of this parable where he's actually outside of the party. The guy who did it all right all along and has it all. He's outside of the party, not a part of the party of grace. His vision is obstructed, and he can't see the grace. I read this quote in some of my Advent readings this week. Um, preachers have to start a little early on reading about Advent so we can tell you about it. But today is the first day, so you can start you know, Advent devotionals and so forth today, and you're not behind. Um, so this is this great quote from Philip Britz. He says, Although we are tempted to exert ourselves and push ourselves forward in our search for God. Does that sound kind of American to you? Push ourselves forward in our search for God. The desire to climb nearer to God is nothing but egotistical satisfaction and self aggrandizement. The, the way that Christ took was the low way. His way was abandonment. He not only descended from the presence of God, but he came as a baby in the poorest conditions. 
It is not that we, as pilgrims, climb to the celestial city, but that the Christ child is born in the poverty of our hearts. Elizabeth and Mary had no lofty ideas about climbing to the celestial city. They were humbled enough to know how it would need to work only by an act of God, God stooping down. As Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So just, pause, just let that sit with you and, and consider what, that, what that's like for you. Where are the humble circumstances in your life? Where might there be things that are part of your life, you might even be just running from them. That's what we tend to do with humble circumstances. Run, avoid, ignore, pave over, self-medicate with more stuff. That's what we tend to do. Where is that humbling circumstance where maybe there's an unsolvable problem, maybe a failure, maybe a sense of inadequacy, uh, maybe a relationship that, that just never seems to work, but it would be great if it did? Where are the humbling circumstances that God might be ready, at the ready to use to really open your eyes so that you would have this awareness and this uh, recognition of God's work in your life. All right, so God prepares you through humble, humble circumstances. And then a little more brief, God prepares you with Scripture. So what we have in the story is we have Elizabeth, who is really essentially too old to have kids, and then you have Mary, who is too sexually inactive to have kids, to put it technically, right? And yet, very, so they're very unlikely candidates for childbearing. And, you know, and then we, we read what happens. They both find out that they're having babies. And when this happens... Essentially what we learn in the story is that their ears, because their ears have been trained to detect God at work, especially through a lifetime of clinging amidst their humble circumstances, clinging to Scripture, the God of Scripture, the truths of Scripture, the themes of Scripture. When they have babies, it's not just, oh God, thank you. I'm having a baby. That's the most wonderful thing in the world. It's going to be this cute little baby. You know, I better throw a shower, a baby shower, um, get the, the room ready. It's not, that's not where they go. They don't, I'm sure they, it's not the same stuff, right? But they, I'm sure they had that same track of like getting ready and the same kind of expectations and hopes that we all have when we have a child. And they don't go there. They go to the grandiose, the big. God is doing something huge in this world. God is, 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 is ushering in some kind of new era. How do they see that? How do they know to go not just personal, but to go cosmic with what's happening. How do they know that? They know it because of their lives were drenched in Scripture, in the stories of Scripture. The Scripture stories where God seems to just love. It seems to be like a thread God loves to weave into his story to take a woman whose track record is an inability to have kids, inability to get pregnant, and then to use that woman not just a, oh, I heard your prayer and I want life to be a little bit better for you, but to use that woman to initiate the next phase of his work in this world. It's, it's just something Mary and Elizabeth would have known because they would have read about um, Sarah, you know, Abraham and Sarah. They would have read about Rebecca. 
you know, Isaac and Rebekah. They would have read about Rachel, you know, Jacob and Rachel, all of them described as not being able to have kids. They would have read about Hannah. We, we, did, a, we did this passage a few weeks back. Um, Hannah, who couldn't have children, and she prayed and prayed and prayed to God with tears, so much so that the priest by the temple thought she was, um, she'd lost it because she just kept babbling and babbling and so it was so intense about it. She was praying to God that she would have a baby and she said, she, she made this promise she would give the baby to the work of God at the temple once he was old enough. That's what she would do if God would just bless her with having a child. And God didn't just decide to bless her with having a child for herself. She actually ends up having a child and when she drops little Samuel off at the temple, I mean, Consider how awful. You waited all your life and you made this promise. Talk about kicking yourself. I wonder if you would have given me this child if I hadn't promised to drop him off at the temple, you know, when he was whatever years old. But she drops him off and that's not where she goes with it. She breaks out in a song of, of glory, of talking about how amazing God is and he's doing grand things. And, she, um, and there's no song comparable to Hannah's song except the Song of Mary that we read today, the Magnificat. It goes by because of the Latin in it. At some point, someone said, this is called the Magnificat. And there's no other thing that compares, no two things that are so similar as the Song of Hannah and the Song of Mary. Mary was immersed in the stories of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Elizabeth was immersed in them as well. So, when, um, when Samuel came and he was dropped off at the temple, it wasn't just about a, having a baby, and that's great for uh, Hannah. It was about, if you, you were here several weeks back, it was about God ushering in this whole new era where there was darkness and the priests were corrupt and things weren't going well, and now God's word had arrived again and God was going to do a new big thing. Mary and Elizabeth have the same sense because of their immersion in Scripture that that's what God is doing now. And when the angel comes and talks to Mary... She believes, and her mind easily goes there because of her immersion in Scripture. Do you know about how, just in closing, do you know how the microwave was invented? You know, the microwave oven? Have you ever heard the story? It's very short. Basically, this guy named um, Percy, Percy LeBaron Spencer. I just learned this this week. So Percy LeBaron Spencer was working on something called magnetrons, which I don't really know what they are, what that is, but he was doing some scientific work, and um, that somehow involved microwaves. And when the candy bar in his pocket, I don't know the back pocket, but in his pocket somewhere, started to melt, he had this aha moment and realized that microwaves could cook things faster um, than conventional ovens. That's the story. Totally by accident. He wasn't, trying, he wasn't going about trying to really figure out this microwave thing and fi- or figure out a way to cook food better. He was working on microwaves for some other reason, microwave, you know, the waves. He was working on it for some other reason and just discovered it. He, um, he discovered it by accident, but there's no way he would have discovered it if he wasn't working around the things that cause it. And just apply that to the issue of Scripture. I can't predict uh, when... God is going to become more real to you when you're going to have the aha moment or moments here and there throughout your life. I don't know. I can't even tell you what to do exactly. If you feel like it's hazy and it's foggy and other people see it but I don't yet and I can't tell you when it's going to happen but I can tell you this, that if you're not planting yourself within the scriptures 
where God resides, where God speaks. If that's not a regular part of your life, that's a really good chance that it's going to keep being foggy, it's keep being hazy. A great way to ensure that it doesn't happen soon is to just put Scripture aside and always kind of say, yeah, and I should be doing that. Basically this. If you want your spiritual thirst quenched, you have to move your life into the vicinity of the living water. Let's pray. God of grace, as we consider um, an incredible story, an epic story, um, there's another part we didn't even talk about, that Elizabeth was able to speak the blessing that she spoke to Mary and declare the faith that she declared. The scripture tells us only by the help of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask and we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would help us, that you would help us in our faith, that you would help, in a sense, wake us up from the deep sleep. And um, may your light shine through the cloudiness and the haze and the fog of our spiritual vision. And may your Holy Spirit blow his wind into our lives so that we are alive with the reality of Christ. And you begin preparing us to invite you in and open every door of our hearts that we might be transformed and filled with the joy and the lightness and the excitement and likability that we see in Elizabeth and Mary. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.